I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. You know how almost all of us have had a teacher or coach or trombone instructor who has inspired us or helped us become the people that we are now? Well, on this podcast, you tell us who those people are in your life, and we talk to them. So if someone immediately comes to your mind when I say that, you can nominate that person by emailing me at teacherslounge at niu.edu. Today, we are back to a normal episode. I talked with Jason Cavanaugh. He's a high school math teacher and baseball coach in Sycamore. They're learning remotely, so Jason is going into his empty, retrofitted math class to teach kids who are at home. And obviously, he's never done this before in 27-odd years, and the students definitely haven't either. So as you can imagine, it's not always flawless, especially the technology. You know, I was saying, okay, you know, thumbs up on the screen if you can, if you're, you're looking at me. Okay, so there's a bunch of thumbs up. Okay, now thumbs up if you're looking at my smart board that I'm getting ready to do some examples on. And so no thumbs up there. So I tried something else and I tried something else. And finally I said, thumbs up if you want all this to go away and come back and all of us be together in the classroom. And it was like 20 people just all at the same time. Like everybody wants to be back in the classroom um, at this point. So yeah, we're, we're all trying to figure out how to make it work. And it's like all of a sudden everybody just became a first year teacher again. We talked a lot more about a day in the life of what digital learning looks like now and how he thinks it's going to change the education landscape well into the future. And we also chatted about his first year without baseball in about as long as he can remember and his players who were forced to miss their senior season. We're going to be spending most of this episode talking to Jason about remote digital education. So Let's take a minute to talk about the thousands and thousands of students who are going to school in person right now. They're putting on masks and trying to keep a distance in the hallway. There's a limit of how many people can be in each class. They have to be conscious about where and with who they're eating their lunch, if they're doing that at all in school, how they sit on the bus, all sorts of stuff like that. And positive COVID-19 cases are rising in Northern Illinois and in Winnebago County schools where a lot of them are in at least blended in-person formats. So I talked to the county health department director about COVID precautions in schools, and I talked to a teacher's union who's still very concerned about how it's being handled. More than 40 schools in Winnebago County have reported positive COVID-19 tests. Close to half of those are Rockford Public Schools. Dr. Sandra Martell is the director of the Winnebago County Health Department, She recently stressed that, despite cases appearing in schools, the department doesn't believe students and staff are transmitting the virus while at school. But she said even though most people in schools are adhering to guidelines, her staff has seen some gaps during contact tracing. You know, we had a lunch, and most of us remove our face coverings during a lunch period so that we can eat. And then they realized that they might have been sitting closer than six feet to someone But Martell pointed to after-hours activities like sports teams, church groups, or even slumber parties as source points of infection. So is having interaction inevitable in a school environment despite COVID-19 precautions? Brad Sweet said right now, yes. He's the president of the Harlan Federation of Teachers. Our lives are, are not just inside of those buildings, so we acknowledge that, of course. But we also are aware that, that there are cases that happen because of our employment there. His and several other unions, including Rockford, called on the Winnebago County Health Department to step up safety efforts. The Harlem Union also released a statement calling the health department, quote, woefully underprepared to handle the scope of infection caused by reopening schools. 
According to the health department, 36 students and 33 staff members in the county went to school after contracting COVID-19. That's led to 438 of their close contacts having to quarantine as a precaution. The department says it reaches out to close contacts within 24 hours of a positive case. But Sweet said the health department is not informing people who've had contact with positive cases to quarantine quickly enough to stop the spread. We have heard that it seems like they know that they've been in contact with someone who has tested positive inside of a school setting and they're waiting to hear from the Winnebago County Health Department. The union released a statement asking for specific policies on how to handle potential exposures so teachers and students don't come into the class infected. Sweet said they need more comprehensive contact tracing. Dr. Martell says the Winnebago County Health Department has committed to hire 51 tracers but don't have all of them staffed and trained yet. She said the department has dedicated its newest tracing teams to work with schools. Some districts like Rockford have internal tracing systems too, but it's up to the health department to issue isolations or quarantines. And when they issue those quarantines, who classifies as a close contact and how is it determined? Dr. Martell says during student case investigations, her staff talks to the kids and their parents. They ask about their day and where they hang out after school and even who they sit next to on the bus. Then we look to see who is sitting in front of that child, behind that child, to the side of that child, and we consider those to be the close contacts. We look at the seating chart in the classroom. If my teacher's at the front of the classroom and I sit in the back row, they're not within my six feet. Siblings of close contacts may be quarantined as well. And if student tests positive, the whole class doesn't necessarily have to quarantine for two weeks but there are schools in the area where that has happened. Two classes are quarantining in the South Beloit School District, and the high school moved online in an adaptive pause after several cases appeared in a short span. Sweet said the Harlem Federation of Teachers and other unions have asked the health department for a clear threshold of when exactly an adaptive pause would be necessary. What is the target? Do we have one firmly stated about this much infection inside of our schools or this many cases inside of a school will put us into an adaptive pause for that school. We don't know that. No one knows that. Dr. Martell says there isn't a total school case count or positivity rate that would result in an adaptive pause. Yes, we are concerned about an 8% positivity rate and a 7.5% positivity rate in the region. But we also look at the data within the school environment itself. That includes whether students in a classroom are transmitting to each other or if they have trouble identifying sources. Sweet said if they had more access to testing, like some universities, it would show higher positivity rates. Parents need to know that their school is a safe place to send their kids, and right now we don't think any of us can give them that assurance. And when will they be able to? No one seems to know that either. All right, let's jump right into my conversation with Sycamore High School math teacher and baseball coach Jason Cavanaugh. I think our Zoom conversation begins just as I'm trying to think of the right word to describe this new school year. Hectic is a, is a nice way to put it, I'm sure. How are you feeling right now? Has it slowed down? Have you gotten used to it at all? Or what has it been like? Well, it seems like I have gotten more used to it. I'll say yes to that. Um, but it seems like every time we turn a corner, you know, where Tuesday was, it was Tuesday this week, and I felt like, okay, I kind of got my bearings about me. I know what I need to be doing on Mondays and Tuesdays. I know what I need to be doing on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Uh -huh. And then there's a tech, there's a technology breakdown somewhere. And uh, it just seems it's just always something, you know? Yeah. I think that's the hardest part about it is, you know, doing something that I've been doing for 26 years one way. And then in year 27, you can't do it that way anymore. Is there, I mean, obviously there's the just being able to go up to people individually and help them if there's something that they're not getting. Is that the biggest change for you is just being able to individually go and help people out or? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I can't even set it up right now so that students can see me and what I'm doing in the class, what I'm doing on the board, whether it's a, whether it's a regular whiteboard or a smart board or even on paper, they can't see both of those things. And yeah. so I think it's a, it's a little awkward for them to, you know, and, and it's, it's hard for me too, because I keep saying, okay, we go back, look up here, you know, and I point to something, well, they can't see me, they can't see where I'm pointing. So then I end up, you know, going crazy with the markers, you know, where I, I circle it up here and then I draw a line back down to here. And this is how we know that. And this is what we do. And, you know, by the time I'm done looking at it, everything's underlined three times and circled twice in two different colors. And so it's just a, it's a gigantic mess. And I think our, our smartest kids will learn no matter what, no matter what, how you teach them, you know, right. they just have the ability to pick up the stuff quickly. It's everybody else which is most of the kids um, are having a tough, t a tougher time doing this, uh, doing it this way, just because it's something that's totally new. And so I've tried to set it up so that it, it is as close to a regular classroom as I can make it at this point. And by that, I mean, uh, every, we're, we're going live every day okay. in all, all my classes. You know, I obviously go through the most important things first, um, and then because I, I don't want to keep those kids that are the smartest kids, I don't want to keep them around. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if they didn't have any questions on homework, then I give them one small task to do uh, through our Canvas website that we're using. I said, complete this small task and you're done. If you didn't have any questions on homework, if you thought you understood this lesson just fine, um, then you're free to go and start working. You know, watch the next video, um, start the next homework assignment. But if they did have trouble on it, then they need to stick around. And so they stick around and I provide tutorials for them, answer all the questions that they have until we run out of time. Right. Like, I think that's the biggest philosophical question, right? It was like, do we try to replicate the classroom experience or do we scrap it and just try to get as creative as possible, do different things? And it's like, it, it's definitely a case by case thing, but it is difficult to be like, you know, do we want to do this all? synchronized and kind of feel like we're in a class together if it's possible or do we want to just say you know everyone has their videos everyone has different assignments that they can do and it, it's tough and and for you it's like with math i feel like people maybe like outside of education will look at it and be like okay well math you know that seems like something that could translate pretty easily online mm -hmm. yeah math is so day-to-day -day and sometimes it's even minute to minute where uh you know, if you don't know what we're doing today, there's no tomorrow. You can't just jump right into it and, and say, well, well, I guess I didn't figure out today, but I'll just jump in and figure it out tomorrow. Yeah, it's compounding, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've tried to make the math classrooms at least as uh, close to a regular classroom as possible uh, for that reason. And so what we do is we, you know, we, have our, we have our Google Meet during our regularly scheduled class time yeah and the regular classes end at one o'clock so uh the students have half an hour for lunch and then they're supposed to be doing school work from 1 30 to 3. Mm -hmm. so at least some half an hour block during that time i uh during that 1 30 to 3 o'clock block uh, i try to jump on a google meeting and i just have it up and running and students come and go as they please and so sometimes they come in have they been coming yeah, yeah, definitely. 
some people, sometimes they'll come in and there'll be six people in there. Other times there's nobody in, they pop in and they say, you know, can you show me how to do this problem or give me an additional example for this one? Those types of things. And so we've been able to communicate that way with them uh, pretty regular, well, regularly every day. Right. Uh, and that, cause I, I mean, our biggest thing is when we were doing all of our training uh, at the beginning of the school year, we had a week long training on this stuff. They kept talking about kids, social and emotional needs. Yeah. And I feel so bad for them because it's, it's gotta be so monotonous. I know how hard it is for us to figure out this, this new platform that we're using. And so I'm just doing whatever it is that works best for me. Well, students have six or seven classes. They have to do what's, they have to learn six or seven different platforms. And so I've tried to keep that in mind as I go through this, when I try to establish consistency and I've had conversations with the kids. I keep telling them over and over, like, if you have another teacher that's doing this better than I am, uh, differently than I am, then, then please share it with me because I would be more than happy to go have a conversation with that teacher to make things easier for you to learn. Right. Like we're all on equal playing field. We're all trying to figure this out at the same time. Yeah, for sure. That's what, that's what our principal just sent an email. that says we're building an airplane as we're flying it. I know. I, I've heard multiple people use that same exact analogy. Right. Right. Yeah. And you guys were initially planning to do blended. And then, you know, I, I think it was, was it in late July or was it in early August that you guys decided to switch to start off remotely? <laughs> it was after school was actually supposed to have started. So it was kind of last minute. That had to be pretty, yeah. was it a little jarring? It was. It was. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how we were going to get it done with through a blended learning either. You know, I right. didn't know how to work, but you know, it's when, when I had my meeting going today and the technology was taking way too long to catch up to where I wanted to go. Uh, I said, you know, I was saying, okay, you know, thumbs up on the screen. If you can, if you're, you're looking at me. Okay. So there's a bunch of thumbs up. Okay. Now thumbs up. If you're looking at my smart board, that I'm getting ready to do some examples on. And so no thumbs up there. So I tried something else and I tried something else. And finally I said, thumbs up if you want all this to go away and come back and all of us be together in the classroom. And it was like 20 people just all at the same time. Like everybody wants to be back in the classroom um, at this point. So yeah, we're, we're all trying to figure out how to make it work. And it's all of a sudden everybody just became a first year teacher again. Yeah. Because, no paper and pencil. Uh, everything has to be submitted and uploaded. And for those math questions, it's really hard, especially, you know, I teach the upper level math classes. And so I'm trying to find ways to assess those students in a meaningful way. That's not just a multiple choice question. Right. Yeah. There's a lot about those love math, like high level math classes that are step-by-step -step, mm -hmm. show your work. Tell me how mm -hmm. you got through this. Sure. And so we're, you know, we've been experimenting basically for three weeks. The best way to do it so far is students just take a picture of your work and upload it. Yeah. So there's that platform. And then, and then, you know, how to maintain academic integrity is a huge factor for us. You know, has that been a big conversation so far? Like, I don't even like, have you even had time amidst trying to figure out everything else to have that conversation? Well, we, we've started the conversation several times, but, mostly it's been let's just hold off on that and try to get through 
two weeks, three weeks, a month. We can't really stop them from doing that. We don't have the platform to be able to do that. Yeah. Right now. Um, I mean, I think there are some things that we're doing right now that's at least slowing it down. Um, but for them, you know, I would say I, I couldn't even put a percentage on what kids are, are getting help from outside sources or their friends. I can't put a percentage on it right now. Yes. Yeah, but it's there for sure. And I don't, I don't know that in the current state, there's any way around that. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to, we're going to try not to focus on that at this right. point. At this point, you're like, just if people are engaged and doing the work, you're like, be happy at least about that at the beginning of the stuff. Yeah. That, that's, that's a hundred percent accurate. What is it? I mean, you're going in to your classroom every day though, and walking into an empty building pretty much and an empty classroom. What is the vibe like there? Is that, eerie is it weird it is weird um i mean i've always been the kind of person who likes to do my school work at school yeah and there was a lot of times you know when i get a new class um i come into school a lot when when there's nobody here so i can get work done and you know when my family was younger it was the only quiet place around <laughs> um, so but it is odd all the teachers are in their classrooms which i'm happy for i mean i'm really glad that i get to come to work and do this instead of like it was at the end of last year where it was just you know in my basement or in the office or somewhere like that it's nice to have a place to be it is it really is and just you know it made it so easy last year it was so easy to say oh, i'll get to that around 10 or 11 this morning you know instead of i have to be at work at seven o'clock to get my work done to be ready for these kids to come in and but it is odd there's nobody in the hallways ever there's nobody I've, my if you could see my classroom it is my, you know, teachers usually have their desk in a corner somewhere so they can see the whole room. Um, but right now my desk is in the exact middle of my classroom and I removed all the desks from the sides so that I could directly connect to my projector onto my smart board so that I could do what I needed to do. Yeah. And it's just, you know, people who have been walking in my classroom for 10 or 20 years in my department, they were, they, they just were shocked that that's how this looked. And I am too. I mean, it's, you know, I got an extra, I got a giant computer monitor right behind my screen so that um, I can still see the students when I'm working problems on the board, you know, nothing. Yeah. I mean, for a, for a good teacher, I don't think there's any better feedback than body language. Yeah. So I a mean, kid could sit there and say he understands, but you can tell by his reactions that he doesn't. And so I don't get full reactions from the two dimensional students on my screen. Yeah. And half the time they're frozen, uh, but I can at least see something. I can at least see when somebody's uncomfortable or, you know, they're, they didn't catch on to what we were doing. And so it's probably 25% as good as being in the classroom as having them in my actual classroom. But yeah, it's, at least it's something. Are you someone that decorates, like you know, puts up posters or anything in your classroom? Like, do you even bother doing that at this point? Um, well, I have a lot of posters in my classroom. Yeah. I wouldn't say that any of them were purchased within the last decade. What kind of posters? Are they math-related ones? Are they personal? I know you're a baseball coach, too. Right. I got a little baseball corner of my room, but mostly that stuff's in the locker room. There you go. You know, I wanted to talk about baseball too because I'm I'm a huge baseball fan. I've been my whole life. Uh, just first off, before we get to you personally and your team and all that stuff, are you a Cubs, Sox? What what who's your team? 
Uh, I'm a Cubs fan. You're uh, a Cubs fan? Yep, I've, yep, born and raised a Cubs fan. Did a lot of suffering. Kind of had some revenge here in the last five years uh, on some things. But now I think it's about the White Sox turn. You know, Maybe. it seems to be. I'm a White fun Sox fan. Fun. Okay, yeah, it's a good time to be a White Sox fan there. I noticed all the jerseys starting to come out of the closets again. And, you know, people starting to wear the good guys wear black shirts and hats. Well, Jason, it's tough when, if you go to Coles, you can find 300 Cubs and uh, Bears jerseys, but there's not a single Yuan Moncada jersey. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you got to recycle the old ones, the Carlton Fisk ones and the Mark Burley ones. And I do have I do have the, the 70s uh, red and blue Carlton Fisk ones. So I'm glad you, glad you mentioned that. That's it. But yeah, no, that has been that has been a real sanity thing for me is, is that having baseball, I'm sure it's, a, uh, that's probably nice for you to watch the Cubs, but, like, what has it been like having a spring through summer pretty much without baseball? Yeah, it was awful. I mean, that's, uh, you know, my friends and I, my baseball friends and I joke around and they say, what do you do all winter? Well, mostly we just stare out the window and wait for spring. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, you miss the the day-to-day of baseball. You know what I mean? The little things yeah. that roll from day-to-day and – I mean, it's, it's, it's been such a big part of my life over the years that it, to just have it taken away, you know, cause you take away all the, all the baseball watching on TV and then you took away, you know, all the relationships you built with the kids last year, well, over three years. And then their senior, senior season was taken away. And then, you know, now we don't, you know, we're not going to have baseball now until, you know, March until April. Right, cross our fingers that we mm-hmm. have that. Is it, have you uh, have you broken? Have you went down to the field, mowed the grass? Have you been able to get down here at all for anything? Yeah, we've actually had we had a, a month where we were able to get together uh, at the at the varsity field, um, and we were we were usually getting close to fifty kids out there because kids just want to do something. I mean, yeah. they just want out there with their friends and you know for the most part we have masks on we take their temperatures when they get there every day uh we were using hand sanitizer several times so we had we had four weeks of uh, actual baseball um meetings with the kids and so you know for two weeks we did all practices and then the next two weeks we did practices and games with them and it was i'm telling you we we had an inner squad we, we actually were had played two inner squad games at the same time one on the pony field and one on the varsity field. And I'll bet there were three or 400 people there. No kidding. Nobody got to watch any baseball games this year. And, and these parents, you know, they're, man, they, that's their life is watching their kids play. And I couldn't believe there was a, a foul ball hit in between the two fields. And I went and looked outside the dugout and I just couldn't believe how many people were out there. And so it was, you know, I, there was one dad who I knew and he said, I've never been this excited to watch an inter-squad game in my life. Yeah. So. I think people felt that way, you know, pro professional ball when they started off doing the, you know, the first exhibition games. And through that, it's like, I've, I've been thinking about the context of not just high school, because obviously we could, that's, we could talk about that too, but like, you know, being eight, nine, 10 during the summer and stuff like that was, that was my life. And mm-hmm. like being that age and just having like a full year of that taken away is like completely incomprehensible in the same way that's like, you know, going to school is just something that you take for granted. That it's like, this is something that just comes around every single year. We're all going to do it. 
and for them to be one, you know, 2020s is going to be this blank canvas. Right. It just is random in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to conceive for like kids of any age playing sports. Like it that. is. And there's so, there's so much pressure on parents right now, especially parents of little kids. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, a lot of, they're still expected to work. And how, you know, how do you teach a, a six year old to sit at the computer all day? That's just not going to work. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, then throw in the sports factor of everything. So, you know, you got to work all day. And then, you know, in the meantime, you're trying to help your six-year-old get on and off the computer and be where he's supposed to be. And then you're, you know, coaching baseball at night or soccer at night. And, you know, those things, it make, I'm, I'm, I'm glad my kids are grown and I don't have to deal with that right now. Yeah, no, I was just talking to a parent a couple of weeks ago, talking about how they were getting their kids situated with you know, a group of six or seven year olds in, you know, 30 of them in a Zoom call of how much of a hot mess that is. Mm -hmm. But I mean, with the, you know, everyone playing baseball in your neighborhood too. Literally, Jason, I was, you know how everyone like their favorite pastime now is just like walking around your neighborhood, just Mm -hmm. making laps. Sure. I, I was walking through my neighborhood yesterday and I walked by this like, probably like eight year old girl playing catch with a baseball with her grandfather and it like literally like almost drove me to tears like it like almost yeah. broke me emotionally and I was like mm-hmm. oh my god I <laughs> it was I, I miss all of that like that sort of connection so much that it was like people just playing baseball on the street oh my gosh it felt like sure. so well and I, I wasn't able to coach at all for a really long time and so you know when I would see those sort of things um, I have a dog and we walk a lot and you know, I would see a kid playing catch with his dad and I just really wanted to run up to him and say, okay, just tweak this in your throwing motion a little bit. You'll be able to throw a lot harder and a lot more accurately, you know, and I didn't do it very much, but one day I did see, uh, it was this old guy in, uh, uh, he was wearing a shirt and tie and he was throwing batting practice and it had come on top, you know, and I just stopped and watched for like two minutes. It was this, this big guy throwing, bad strikes to his kid at a, at a playground. And I just stopped and watched, you know, it was like at least something to watch on TV you know, or something, some sort of sports to watch a little bit. And, yeah. So. When I, when I walked by those people playing catch yesterday, I like, I didn't want to be like creepy and like stop and watch. I <laughs> called my brother to tell, I, I made a phone call to be like, this is the best thing I've seen all day. I need to tell someone about this. Sure. It's, it's ridiculous. And, I, in the spring, I, I was able to do a story where I talked to a bunch of student athletes from those spring sports, you know, baseball players, soccer players, track athletes, and especially for those seniors. I mean, tell me what was some of the conversations you were having with, with those kids on your team? Because I know that was incredibly difficult. It was. I mean, I think unfair was the word that we just kept using with them. It's like, you know, this isn't fair, but, you know, there's there's a lot of things that aren't fair, you know, and there's a there's it's it's unfortunate that it happened to those guys at this time. But I mean, I mean you had three years, you know, so and if this thing lasts, you know, then who knows? I mean, maybe you can be thankful that you didn't lose your junior and senior year, because, I mean, that's a real possibility, I think, at this point is. You know, the kids who were juniors last year lost their junior year. And then if there's a modified or, you know, I mean, I think all it's going to take is one or two big breakouts of COVID for them, for people to really overreact and shut everything down. And that's my big concern about this is that, I mean, I don't think this is going away anytime soon. I mean, it's, 
I think it's going to be here for a couple of years and it's going to be all about how we manage it. Yeah, I think that with education, especially, we tend to take our cues from the, you know, the bigger schools. And a lot of times it'll like, we'll see how some districts are handling it. And then it'll kind of trickle its way down to other different districts. So I think that you're right. If that we see, you know, some districts that start to do it, if they see cases, then other schools are going to see that and, and react in, in the same way. But it's, it's tough because you know, I, I think we've we've seen just a week or two ago, there was a bunch of student athletes who were out there, you know, all protesting pretty much just ask, or asking the, you know, the state to, to let them play this fall. And it is really hard because there aren't really any concrete answers that we have for anyone. But there's so many questions that we have about like, can like, A, can we safely do this? Can we have the sports without having those major breakouts? But then it's like, there's also a huge mental health component of like, this is a really taking a toll, not only just not having, you know, the in-person school with social experience, but also having this, you know, the sports experience, which for a lot of people, like is their main social experience of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about it. That's a huge component is that social emotional part of it. And those kids have to sit in front of their computer all day long. And then they do homework on the computer after that, you know, they, I always just hope every kid has some sort of connection to the outside world. And if that means, you know, we're, we're doing baseball stuff or now we're, we're just doing Wednesdays, but I can't, there's tons of people showing up. I can't believe how many people are showing up. Uh, and they're just so happy to be out there, you know, that every, everybody practices hard and, you know, they just, they're, they're excited to be there and the coaches are excited to be there every night. I come home Wednesday night and I just, it's a Wednesday is such a great day because I get to go out there and coach. And I haven't been able to do very much of that in the last, well, since March. Um, so last night, last night you had practice. We did have practice last night and it was, it, it's, it's fun. It's so good to do that. We break them up into two groups, the older kids and the younger kids. And um, we got a couple of coaches with each one and it's just, uh, it's just a lot of fun being out there. Yeah. If you had to say which one way or another, even though obviously we don't know what it's going to be like over the next couple of months, but where it stands right now, do you think March rolls around we're playing baseball? I think so. I mean, I think that, that, I mean, you think about how tired of it everyone is right now, man, what's it going to be after we go through the winter? Cause you got to think it's going to get worse in the winter when everybody's forced inside yeah. for everything. Um, so, and then, and then trying to know the difference between COVID-19 and the flu and all that. I mean, you got to believe it's going to get worse. So I think by the time March rolls around, people might just say, you know what, I'm just going to take my chances with this, you know, instead of, you know, doing the social distance, distancing thing. Because I think the bottom line is we don't know a lot more than we knew on March 13th, right? I mean, we kind of know how it's transmitted now, but it's so contagious that people don't know if they've had it already. I mean, I, I was, I don't get sick very often. And I went to visit my son in Atlanta in February before that was even a thing. Like I suppose they were talking about it in some parts of the world, but in my world, it wasn't even, you know, like maybe I heard it on the news uh, but it was somewhere else. It wasn't here. And I got, you know, you go through, through O'Hare airport and Hartsfield in Atlanta, the two busiest airports in the United States. And about four or five days later, my chest hurt so bad. I was coughing. Um, I didn't, I didn't really notice a, la- a sense of lack of a sense of smell or taste or anything like that, but I wasn't looking for it. 
you know, what my senses weren't heightened to that. And so I may have had it already because when I came home, my daughter got it. Uh, and she was, she was down for the count for like five or six days. That would have been in late February or early March, right before they shut us all down. So, right. um, I think there's more questions than there are answers. And that's, that's the frustrating part of it, especially for teachers, you know, yeah. us in the classroom and, you know, there's other teachers that come to me in the department and they ask me a bunch of questions. And I say, I don't know the answers to any of those questions. Like they're great questions, but you know, we're, we're, it's all one big experiment. I know it's tough for you guys. Cause you know, we, you know, people ask you uh, questions and teachers and administrators are supposed to have these answers, but then it's also, you know, like, like it's my job to ask people questions. And a lot of times I have to ask these questions knowing that there isn't a concrete answer because mm -hmm. you know, we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. We don't know what it's going to look like in six months. But one of my last questions for you would be with this whole e-learning experiment, trying to get this all ready in the last couple of weeks, is there a part of the e-learning thing that you've been through that you think is more important people might realize or that you like, you want, you wish people were talking about more when they talked about these things? I, I would say, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what the answer to that question is. Like what's more important. I think it's going to change education. I mean, I definitely do. I mean, something, something had to change education. It's been very similar for like hundred years. Right. Um, so something, something was going to change it. And so I think it's going to force people to uh, be able to search for information a little bit better. Um, and I think this is going to become more normal having these types of conversations, you know, from even, even across town. I mean, we have these, we have these across state, right? I mean, so you think for the best or for the better, it could change education. I do think so. I think it could. And I, I said all along, I think the learning the math part of this in a lot of ways is going to be a lot easier because I put a video out there. Kids can stop the video anytime they want. You can wait, what did he say there? And so you stop the video, go back a little bit, watch it again, stop it, write some things down because, you know, you know, you try, you go fast in a classroom and, and my classroom is intense. And so I, I go fast, I get excited about things. And, you know, I know that kids struggle to keep up with notes. Well, now they don't have to do that. Now they can just hit pause, write down, complete a thought, write a question in the margin, you know, I, I just don't want kids to sit there and watch the video on how to do this section like it's a movie or a cartoon, right. you know, where you just watch it all and then close it and then try to do the homework. So I think that, and I've, I've said for a long time, you know, I should just take a video camera and put it in the back of my classroom and videotape every AP calculus lesson that I teach. That way, when someone's gone, I just send them the video. You know, so now we'll have that. And yeah. I think that huge bonus to all this is they'll just be able to go to YouTube and find my channel or uh, I can, I can send them a link that has me, their teacher teaching them the lesson that they're supposed to learn that day. And I think that will be a huge benefit for students. So I think learning math is made easier in that regard. But like you said, in the beginning, the ability to have a bunch of students working on something, me identifying who does and doesn't know how to do something or where they're struggling. And that way they can point to the paper. I can see it. They can tell me their thoughts. I can fix it. And then we move on together as a group. I think there's going to be a lot less of that. 
Yeah, you hope that the good parts that come back from it and that we can keep using is the flexibility, right? That people mm-hmm. learn in different ways and hopefully we can figure out how to utilize online for you. Know, if you need the video, that might help you more. If you need you know, to do things synchronized with your teacher, you can do that too. And, and, and maybe we'll be able to have you know, access to more classes that are online that maybe schools couldn't offer before. You know, they couldn't fit it into their in-person schedule. But yeah, you hope that if there are big changes that come to education, that like, there are actual silver linings and good things that we can take out of an experience like this. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks a ton, Jason. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Have a good one. Thanks for listening as always. And feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show, an educator, a mentor, or coach, anyone like that that fits the bill. This is how we get great guests like Jason. Send them our way, teacherslounge at niu.edu. Again, that's teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing this, like us, subscribe us, leaving it, subscribe us, subscribe, leave us a rating, share it, however you can help. Please do that. That'd be great. And a big thanks to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for all the music you heard. Shout out to Spencer Tritt for making our Teacher's Lounge logo. I have been your host, Peter Mudlin, and I'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge so soon. Bye.